You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm excited to bring you another interview today. Last fall, I had a chance to pre-screen a copy of a brand new book, and that book is called The Wax Pack. And it's called The Wax Pack because the author took a pack of 1986 tops, opened it up, looked who was inside, and sat out on a cross-country road trip to track down all 14 players. I really liked this book. I think it has a lot for us to, to learn both about baseball and about life. And so here in just a minute after this quick break, I'm going to talk with the author, Brad Baluchian. Starstock is a new trading card marketplace which is preparing to go live in April. Their goal is to be a faster and cheaper solution to sell cards, and they're looking for sellers who want to be some of the first to have their cards available for sale at launch. I'm going to be testing the platform with my own submission. They're offering a 5% sales commission with no other submission or processing fees. You send in your cards and they do all the work. Cards are insured and stored in a vault and you can have your cards shipped to you at any time. You'll be able to buy, store, or flip cards at the push of a button. If you're interested in learning more about getting involved as a seller and getting your cards onto the site for launch, contact Mike Kuchera via email at mike at starstock.com. They're looking for sellers who have rookie and prospect cards of current players for the major sports. For more details, contact Mike Kuchera at mike at starstock.com or go to www.starstock.com. All right, welcome back after that quick break. Well, a few years ago, Brad Baluchian embarked on quite a journey. He opened up a pack of 1986 Topps baseball cards and set out on a cross-country journey to track down each of those players. I had a chance to read a draft copy of this book last fall, and I loved it. Well, I'm excited to welcome Brad to the show. Welcome, Brad. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, You know, the book starts out with you reflecting on your youth and opening some packs of baseball cards from your youth. And it talked about some of the, the players that you liked and what types of players stood out to you. And so... You know, we'll we'll get to that in a second, but I was curious, are cards a part of your life at all today? Not in uh, not in any real active way. Um, I don't like I don't really go and buy and still collect cards, but I will pull out the cards from my childhood sometimes. And it always makes me happy to kind of shuffle through them and reflect and just look at them again. At what point? You know, as you as you kind of talked about going back and looking at some of the cards from your youth, at what point did the curiosity of what happened to some of those childhood heroes develop into the idea for the Wax Pack book? Right. I, I've always, I think a lot of us relate to the, or we were, the idea of the where are they now is, a, is an appealing, um, you know, motif in, in sports writing. You know, I think a lot of us, we, we wonder, these are the guys that were my heroes as a kid. So I've always sometimes, you know, I've always just sort of thought in the back of my head, like, I wonder what happened to these guys? What, what are they doing now? And that's always been something I've just kind of daydreamed about. But it wasn't until I 
started, I had this idea just looking at those, those packs from that era, the actual pack of cards. Um, to me, something sparked in my head, like it looks a lot like a book. You know, you have 15 cards in a pack and a book has maybe 15 chapters. And that's where I got the idea that, oh, this could be kind of a neat device to use for, for finding these guys. And I like the idea that, you know, we all, we all can remember people that collected in that era, how exciting it was to not know what you were going to get. The, the random, the thrill of the randomness of the pack. And that to me was what appealed to me the most about the idea was that I was constrained by the randomness that would be in there. And as I talk a lot about in the book, my favorite players as a kid being kind of an unusual kid were the guys that were more the bench warmers and, and the, you know, the reserve guys. And so I also knew with this book idea that it would give me a chance to write about a lot of those guys, because in any given pack, you know, you're probably only going to get a couple of star players. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, you, you know, you talked about the constraints that you were under and part of those constraints was, was not just the randomness of the players that came in that pack, but as you went about your road trip and your journey to track all of them down, you know, I can imagine that there were probably some challenges to connect with some of the players in the story. You know, that some of those challenges are a part of the story that's in the book. But I was just kind of curious, you know, even from a logistical perspective, how much work in advance did you have to go through to get things scheduled out to um, coordinate with these players in that window of time that you had available? Yeah, and the way I look at this book is, I mean, I'm in the book a lot myself, and I sort of see myself as the proxy for all the other people that grew up with cards in that era. Like, they're, you know, I'm the, the eyes and the ears of people that would, I think a lot of us could, you know, can relate to the, the thrill of doing this kind of journey. And what I should, what I want readers to know is that I didn't have any special connections. I mean, I, I'm a biology professor. I'm a, a journalist that usually writes about science. So I didn't have any, you know, connections in the sports writing world, which was both, you know, in some ways a help and a hindrance. And uh, in terms of starting out, yeah, I, I had to kind of just go in from scratch and go into almost stalker mode to find these guys because um, it was a matter of doing a lot of research online, you know, looking at public records to, to try to find their addresses and phone numbers. And then at some point with a lot of them, it's just about making that cold call. Um, where you're, <laughs> you're just a stranger on the phone, you know, and you're calling Gary Templeton and you've got what, six seconds to convince him that you're not crazy. Right. <laughs> and that you act, that he should actually listen to you and give you his time. And so that was pretty nerve wracking. Um, and so it was, a, I mean, it, it, it varied like Rance Mullenix happens to work in real estate now. And so if anyone needs people's phone numbers to get our realtors, they put them everywhere. Right. So you look uh, up Rance and oh, there's his cell phone number. So that wasn't very hard, but then there were some totally fluky ones like Randy Reddy. I was having no luck reaching him. I tried all the numbers that were listed, the addresses. And then just by, I was, I just decided on Twitter to do a search and, and a tweet came up from when a few years ago, many years ago now, when they had that, when Sony got hacked, you know, if you remember that? Sure. And there was all that, that, that data dump. For whatever reason, some there, you know, some subsidiary of Sony relating to baseball had an email get leaked that had the personal email addresses of all these former players. 
and how one of them happened to be Randy Reddy. And so I just got lucky uh, that he was in there. And so I wrote an email and said, like, are you, are you, is this Randy Reddy? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's me. So there was some serendipity involved, certainly a lot of hard work and, and uh, resourcefulness. But I spent about a year before I took the trip trying to set up the, the actual interviews. So once you tracked them down and started to make some of that initial con, uh, contact, um, how receptive were, were those players? Did some require more convincing than others? Yeah, uh, for sure. That's a, that would be a mild way of putting it in some cases because a few of them wouldn't talk to me. I mean, part of the charm of the book, I think, is that there's, there's, um, some, there's heroes and villains. Right. So if every guy was gracious and friendly and wonderful, it wouldn't make for a very interesting book because for a book like this, this kind of narrative book to be good, it has to have some narrative tension. You know, it has to have some some ups and downs. And so while most of the guys were great, a few of them, like Carlton Fisk, wouldn't talk to me. So for him, I in that chapter is all about this elaborate scheme that I hatched where I found out where he golfed and Sarasota, Florida, and decided to pose as a millionaire home buyer to sneak on the golf course to ambush him. Um, so really going rogue <laughs> in the, in that sense. So yeah. uh, some of these stories, some of these chapters are really fun because it's about sort of me chasing them. Yeah. And, and I think one of the other things that I, I found very interesting as I read through it is how transparent many of these players were. Yeah, um, I'm glad because that's the other thing that um, really surprised me was how open they were. And really, I, I tell people, if you're a baseball fan, you'll love this book. But even if you're not a baseball fan, I think you'll like the book because it's really at its heart not about baseball. It's about a lot of their themes like vulnerability. Uh, as you were saying, I was amazed by how courageous some of these guys were to talk openly about some really serious, you know, dark things from their childhood, you know, abusive fathers, that became a kind of a common theme is how many of your dads you walked out on them or abused them. Um, so vulnerability, loss of innocence, these are some of the, the themes that are in the book. And I talk myself openly about my own struggle with OCD and sort of there's a very, um, you know, sort of the, the psychological side of things, both in baseball and off the field is a big part of the story. And we all know what a mental game baseball is. So sort of mental health and how, you know, the, the psychology of, of how our brains work is a, a central theme in the book as well. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about it surprising you. I was curious, you know, were there things that you learned from some of the first interviews that you did that influenced how you approached some of the later ones? Sort of, yeah. It's somewhat iterative. There's also, I had a, a my approach... I think part of why I got such got players to open up so much was because I didn't approach it as a sports book. Right. When I would when I would meet each guy, I mean, I I had read all about their careers, I had done my homework, but when I would meet each guy, I would have this Manila folder full of all the articles about them from the sports pages in their career, and I would put that in, that folder in front of them, and I would say, you know, I've read this entire folder about your career and I feel like I know nothing about you because a lot of sports writing is, is not really about who they are as people. It's just about the game. Mm -hmm. And so 
that was a consistent thing that I did with them was to let them know that I was more interested in them as people than as players. And I think that what allowed, what came out of that was that one of the nice conclusions of the book is that really just average people like you and me have more in common with these ball players than we ever realized. You know, we tend to kind of fetishize and idolize these guys as athletes. And yeah, they had a remarkable talent that we didn't have. But beyond that, they deal with the same stuff that we do. Everyone's got some issue, right? Everyone's got something. Was that concept or that idea, was that part of your original plan going into it? Or is that a dynamic that just happened to develop as the trip and the interviews unfolded? It was always part of what I wanted to do. I mean, I think the basic premise was very simple, which was what happened to these guys. But then as a journalist, I am more interested in themes that transcend the the, the narrow discipline of whatever I'm writing about. Like I'm looking for universal themes that would appeal to a broad so again, the baseball part, I mean, now with the internet, you can, you can look up anything you want, right? I mean, I know you can find the information about these guys and what they did. And they've already kind of, they're used to talking about it. I mean, what more can be said about how they felt about hitting a home run or whatever. But what, what the untold stories to me and what makes athletes interesting is that they're, they, they live in this very closed culture where they're basically told, not to talk about their feelings. Yep. And especially that, that generation of, you know, these are guys that are now in their 50s and 60s, that's a generation that wasn't, you weren't allowed to, um, you know, as Tom Hanks famously said in the League of Their Own, there's no crying in baseball, right? I mean, you were, you were to, to show emotion and vulnerability was to show weakness. And so I was really interested in could I get beyond that. And I didn't know. I mean, I thought it's very possible. These guys will get pissed off at me and, you know, not talk to me or just kind of shut me down. But I always wanted to try when I, even from the beginning when I started. Yeah. I, I just loved seeing how the dynamics of, of each of those players that you talk to, you know, they each had their own successes and failures and relationships and family dynamics that, you know, like you said, mirror many of the same things that that we deal with too. And so seeing that laid out and, and seeing those conversations take place was one of the things for me that, that really made it a, a meaningful book, you know, and a, and, and a meaningful read. And, and like you said, transcended the baseball itself. You know, that, that was, that was great. You know, and you've also, you know, in some of your tweets and, and messages that you've put out, you've talked about how much of a journey this has been for you as well. You know, I think didn't this started in 2014, 2015, something around there, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And what has this journey taught you about uh, just that, that effort to, to go about getting it put together and then getting it published and out there for all of us to be able to read? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it is, it is very personal. And part of my motivation for tweeting and all that really is to help help people, you know, help people who are also have their their passion project or their dream of of writing a book, um, because I know how hard it is. And for me, it's it was from beginning to end a six year process. And I and it was really hard to go through to get try to get a publisher to deal with all the rejection. Um, I think right from the beginning, I knew 
this book would be challenging to get published for two reasons. One, that I was I'm an, I was a no name. I don't you know I don't have a, a giant platform. And I was told by many of the big publishers, you know, sorry, we we like your writing and the idea, but we're not going to publish it. We can't offer you a deal because you don't have a giant following on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, which was really frustrating because I felt like there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, you know, I think the, the material is good, the content is good, but I'm basically not famous. So, you know, how does anybody break in to that industry that is so risk averse, you know, when they're not willing to take a chance? Sure. So that was, um, that was one challenge. The other challenge was, as we're talking about how the book is a little bit, you know, it's sort of beyond baseball. I also knew that would make it hard to get published because most sports books are about a particular player or a team and they stay, you know, pretty straight on the on the sport. And what I was trying to do was this sort of ambitious project of combining memoir with baseball, with road trip and travel and, uh, you know, history. So it, it really is a cross genre kind of book, uh, which makes it really hard to pull off. And so I knew that would be that would be a challenge. But I do hope that people and I've, I've tried to share specific advice online about how to approach book publishing and how to persevere. And, um, you know, so it really, if, if, if you are if you if you want it enough and you are driven enough and, and believe in your in your ability and if you know if you have something that's good, you can't still make you work. It's just, it's just a lot of patience and time that it takes to get there. Definitely. That's definitely the case. You know, in the book, you talked a little bit about there's both the story of the road trip itself and all of the players' stories that you went through, but there's a good portion of the book that is also about self-discovery from yourself yeah. and, and you being transparent and processing through relationships and the other things that that you've dealt with in your in your life from childhood through your your adulthood i was just curious you know were there other uh, have there been other things since then that this process has helped you continue to learn about yourself mm -hmm. um i don't know i mean nothing dramatic in time my life hasn't changed that that much since i took the trip in 2015 i'm still large my life has remain pretty much the same. But uh, as you were saying, I mean, the book is very much um, an exploration of, of my own challenges and things that I think a lot of us go through. And I, you know, I, I use the, or one of the, the setups in the book is that, you know, when I would, took the trip, I was 34, mid thirties, single, not married, no kids, and all my friends around me are, are doing all that. And I thought I would be doing that by then. Yeah. And the kind of at a crossroads of where do I go next? And that's a lot of what I think about in the book. And I like the parallel with the players because they were, when they retired, they were about that same age at a crossroads, not no longer able to play baseball anymore and sort of what do they do next? So I looked at it as a chance to learn from them. You know, and as you'll see in the book, a lot of them, when they retired, they had, there were divorces, there was, you know, having to quit alcohol, there were, you know, a lot of different sort of demons to deal with. And, but one of the things that I got out of it that has continued to help me to this day is seeing how 
the phrase I like to use is baseball players are accidental Buddhists in oh. that they get it without even necessarily realizing they're getting it, that the key to success in baseball and in life is staying in the present moment, right? Because we know that in baseball, you're going to fail more than you succeed. And if you, if you don't let that go, if you dwell in the, in the past, you're not going to make it. And if you put too much pressure on yourself for the future, you're going to, you're not going to make it. So I think, and the way I live my life is really to try to live in the present and to, you know, with right, what's right in front of me as much as possible and to let go of expectations and, you know, thinking too much either in the, in the future or the past. And that was something that I had explored through dealing with my own OCD, which I talk about a lot in the book, but also learning that from the players and talking to them. Very cool. So I hate to ask this next question, but yeah, well, at the same time, I want to know, um, yeah. because it's, we're, we're not even at launch date yet, but yeah. I was just curious, what's next? Are there other projects that you've got in the, in the works that you're um, going to be working towards? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So a lot of people have asked me that and to go back to what I was just saying, uh, there's, I mean, any writer who tells you that they're not thinking about other projects is lying because of course, <laughs> I have, I've, I've had a file on my computer for years called an idea bank that has like 50 books that, you know, probably 48 of which will never get written. Um, it's just fun to think of ideas and they're, they're not really, the ideas I have are not so much with baseball or sports. Cause again, I have, I'm a, a scientist and I have a background in, in studying in biology. So I think whatever I try to do in the future, it will be the same approach in the sense that I really like digging into a topic and being part of the story myself, because I think that kind of writing is more is just more interesting and really diving deep and, and kind of <clears throat> being in the story myself. But I'm trying really hard not to back to the whole living in the present, you know, not to get ahead over my skis. And because this is my first book, I really I'm just kind of a nerd for the process. I really enjoy, yeah. I know, I mean, I'm the guy probably driving my publisher crazy asking about like, well, how does this work? And how does, you know, how do you design this? And when, you know, and, I, and the whole thing is just fascinating to me. I'm sure that wears off when you do other books, you know, but as a first time, everything is new. So I'm just sort of like really, and I'm very aware that this is, the first time is always unique and special. So I'm really trying to stay in the present about how that, you know, how this goes and just enjoy it while it lasts. Cause it's not going to last. It's just going to be a, a short period and then, you know, you move on. So, well, part of that process is a book tour that you're going to be doing, I believe right at, at launch beginning in April for, for several weeks as that, as that tour gets started, how can people follow you? follow along and, and find out where you're going to be, you know, what's the best way for people to be in touch with you and to, to follow along? Yeah. And I, and I want to, I want to thank you, Mike, for your active on Twitter. I really, one of the most fun parts of this process has been just meeting strangers on Twitter and interacting with them. And as I've tried to say on Twitter, like my book is any success it has is purely out of grassroots word of mouth because I don't have a big publisher. I don't have a marketing budget. I mean, it's sure. all, just old fashioned, you know, person to person stuff. And so uh, I'm on Twitter at Waxpack Book. Uh, my website is waxpackbook.com. 
you can actually get the book. This is really weird to me. I, I still don't understand it. But even though the book comes out April 1st, people are already, I guess it's already shipping. So <laughs> get it before it's, it's like the funniest thing to me is when I go on Amazon and I see like used copies available and I'm like, the book doesn't come out for more than three weeks and there's still used copies out That's there funny. now. So, um, and then if you go to the, my waxpackbook.com and click on the tour, you'll see that I have a tour lined up. I live out in Oakland, California. So I'll be doing a California tour in April. And then in May, I'll be driving from Rhode Island, where I'm originally from, to Oklahoma City and back on a giant loop that will probably exhaust me <laughs> and have me crawling to the finish line. But I'm, I can't wait. Uh, going to bookstores, going to minor league baseball games. Wanting, I just want to meet people who, you know, sign books, talk to people, share that enthusiasm. So people, hopefully people will come out. Yeah, I took a look at the, the list of stops and it looks uh, like a pretty jam-packed, you know, <laughs> six-week period or whatever um, beginning there in April. So that's going to be great. Um, I think people are really going to enjoy the book as as they get a chance to get it in their hands and read through it. And so well, I have a, I have a question for you, Mike. Sure. Um, what what was your favorite chapter in the book? My favorite chapter, I think I really liked the the chapter about trying to track down Fisk. Yeah, um, like like you talked about the going rogue and, and trying to work your way in there and then, you know, subsequently having a chance to see him, yeah. although maybe maybe not uh, get the the material from him that you were looking for. The You know, I, I enjoyed that that process as well. Um, you know, that was one of my my favorites. But overall, the, like I had said before, the thing I enjoyed the most was. It, it the book for me, it really kind of brought brought the fact that these people are are people like we said you know are on pedestals or we might put on a pedestal, but as right. you dig into their stories, you learn that their stories and our stories are are closer than many people think. Right, exactly, right. Which is like you know I think it's fun because it's either you can look at that as either they're not nearly as special as we think, or we're a lot more special than we realize. Right. <laughs> you know, we, you know, it's sort of like, again, evening that, and that's the, you know, the idea of like heroism is interesting to me. You know, what, when you're a kid and you have heroes that are athletes, it, it's a very black and white thing. And they are these larger than life characters. But when I left, when I finished the book, these guys were still my hero, but for entirely different reasons. Yeah. You know, they had a lot more to do with, or how you define their heroism and their greatness is not about home runs and strikeouts. It's about courage and and you know the willingness to be vulnerable, to be open. It's a whole different way of of looking at it. I also really enjoyed the the very beginning and the very end. The the story uh, of the workers at, at in Pennsylvania at the Tops factory. And um, how you open with that, but also talked about about the the last days of of manufacturing mm -hmm. there. That was something as a card fan as well. Um, that was something that I also found um, impactful. Yeah, and I actually when I was setting up the tour, I was like, I am I have to go to Scranton next to Duria, Pennsylvania, 
to see those people again. Like I want to go there in person and hand them copies of the book because they are, you know, as you said, they, they are the people that actually made the cards. And as you'll see in the book, the camaraderie, the one of the things that, you know, Rance Mullenix said was if you gave me a choice between going back in time and going four for four, or just going back in time and hanging out with, with Jesse Barfield and Lloyd Mosby and Tony Fernandez, he would take the, the latter every time. And so, again, what, what, what sticks with these guys is not their statistics, it's the, it's the people, the human relationships, and the way that the people that work in the Topps factory described their time there is the same thing, right? It's, they were, the things that they remember so fondly are the relationships that they had working at Tops, and you know the common common uh, theme or through line is baseball. So baseball, you know, I, I say in the book that base, the beauty of baseball is it's it's a setting to to build relationships. You know, it's a it's a it's a sport that by its very slow nature, you know, provides the space and the time for people to build relationships, and that, that can look many different. You know, there's many ways that happens. Um, and that's kind of, I think, the beauty of it. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you again for, for taking a few minutes to, to chat today. You know, I encourage everybody to get out there, um, get a copy of the book, check out the tour schedule and find out where Brad's going to be. And if he's close, I, I would definitely recommend getting over there to, to say hi. But thanks again, Brad. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Well, if you'd like to check out the book and support the show at the same time, I would ask that you use the link to Amazon that's in the show notes, or you can also check out the book review that I wrote up at waxpackhero.com and use the link inside that article as well. I would really appreciate it, and so would Brad. And last but not least, I want to give a shout out to Anthony S. Corona and Doing What I Do, who both left five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts this week. I really appreciate it, and thanks for helping spread the word. Thanks again for tuning in, and I will catch you next time.